Well, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. All right. So um, we're talking today to uh, Maria Marinu. Um, Marinu. That's right. And th so I, I, you know, we we we've talked about. Um, I, I don't know how much you know about the format of the show um, that we're doing right now, but basically, these interviews are a companion to standalone episodes that we do. Um, so the episode that, uh, or the theme that we're talking about right now is, uh, art, right? Which is obviously why we picked you. So, um, <laughs> so my question for you, I guess, you know, why don't we start by just, you know, talking a little bit about your, um, background and your relationship with art, um, because, you you are probably the most successful uh, best artist that I know. Uh, so you, you know, don't know many then. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Not as many as you do. All right, but I mean, well, I, I, I I think I think that you're you 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 are you are exceptional um, in terms of uh, what you've been able to do. Uh, in the in the in the realm of the arts, um, and it's it's always very deeply impressive to me whenever anybody can um, can actually turn their artistic skill into into money, um, which you've been able to do. So so you know, why don't you let us? I appreciate know. this very much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's true though. I mean, uh, so so how did you get involved, and and when did you start um, producing art? Was this something that goes all the way back to when you were? A little kid or did this come to you later in life definitely since i can remember myself mm. and so i was very happy i was very lucky because uh, my family environment let's say never stopped me of doing this mm. so in fact they did quite the opposite and so since i can remember myself i was involved with this practice basically so very early memories of sitting down and drawing and uh, painting and all of the rest. Or was yes. there was yes. there one that that attracted you to it, or was there one instance that got you involved? Or like, how do you mean? Well, I mean, for example, right? Like, um, I I can remember my my experience with art. Um, it has been, uh, if if one I guess artistic pursuit um, had a you know an interest for me, it would have been like photography. You know, so I remember being, you know, a little kid, maybe like, I don't know, three or four years old or whatever, and walking around with a camera and, you know, taking pictures like that. Was it something like that? Or was it something like, you know, when when children are given like coloring books, you know, you just you were just like, oh, this is this is it. You know, I mean, or, I think it was the latter. It was the latter because yeah. I don't I, I, I don't have like an earliest memory of first uh, been implicated with painting it's like i don't have a specific one it's just happened since i can remember myself so it's always been there yeah yeah they, of course of course of course wow so okay so so we should probably um give our audience here a little bit of uh background um so can you tell us a little bit about you know where did you grow up um, and, and what was, what was your, what was your childhood like, um, in the right. environment that you grew up in? Yeah. So I was born in Athens, Greece in 1986 in a region of Attica called Agia Nargiri. 
and I went to school there and I, I lived there for 30 years until I moved to Britain in 2016, mm-hmm. basically. And my background was, I don't know how to, it's just like a normal Athenian background, okay? So I went to school there and then we have our own house in Athens, so the family was all together and my neighborhood is mostly, um, so, you know, every neighbor has their own house, so it's like local. Uh, stuff basically uh, for me it's just a generic Athenian environment you know mm. I don't believe it was something special apart from the fact that my family was always interested in arts and history and archaeology and would give us like little triggers let's say plant the seed like you say <laughs> so, we, so we are able to cultivate these things further mm. Now, you know, when it's funny that you mentioned that, right, um, about your family being interested in art and history and so on and so forth. Do, do you find, you know, um, just because it is a little bit rare to be able to be um, talking to somebody who has experienced both sides, right? So you, meaning that, you know, you've, you've experienced what society, you know, culture and everything else is like in Athens and in, you know, Can you repeat the question because I lost, I lost the connection. Oh, okay. No, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm saying it's, it's interesting that you, uh, you say that your family was, was, had a, an interest in art and history and this kind of thing. Do you find that that is more common, uh, in Greece than it is in a place like England or are they about the same? I, I don't know. What I have seen up, up to now in Britain is that the structure of the whole uh, learning process is much different to what it is in Greece. That doesn't make it better or worse, of course. Um, and then again, I don't actually know how the other you know, Greek families would have been treating their children and if that interests were similar or not. I, I don't think there's something that I have looked into on, in detail, let's say, because for me, that was the norm. So I never, you know, I, I never stopped and thought, oh, wait a minute, what's happening, you know, at that family? Should we compare it? Uh, it's not something that I thought as a growing older. Mm. But I, you always hear stories about you know, people at your age saying that, oh, you know, I want to go to this university, study these things, but my parents don't let me because they want me to be a lawyer or a doctor. If that's what you mean, yes, definitely. Um, but I think when it comes to my family, it was always important for the children to choose something they like, because if they did, then they, they would have more possibilities to, to do it um, the best they can basically. So if you have a job that you don't really like, it doesn't matter if your mother or your father likes it. For you, it could be a torture, you know? Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting that you say that because this is, this is part of the argument that I make. Well, I mean, you, as you know, um, part of the argument that I make for why people should get involved in classics and in history and the humanities in general is, you know, specifically for those reasons, right? I mean, you know, you, you could theoretically, for those who have the capacity to suffer, you know, if you want to sit there and suffer through a law degree, you could, 
and then you could come out at the end and you could be a terrible lawyer um, versus, you know, versus doing something that you really care about and then really pursuing that to the fullest. Um, but I'm curious here for a second, you, you mentioned that that you can see that there's major differences between the Greek education system and the way that it is in the UK. Um, I, I wonder if you couldn't give us a little bit more detail about what, what, are, what are those details, or what are those differences that you notice, that you perceive? I think it's the structure of the school system, if this is even a word to describe it, basically, because like in, in Greece, you would go, you would start elementary school for six years, and then another six years would be gymnasium and I don't know, how, how do you say this in English? Like, Likyo, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know. Like, another six years of gymnasium or something. Uh, but here the structure is a little bit different, so you don't have to be 18 to finish school. You can, you can live with it when you are 16 years old and then try to follow a craft, and then if you want to return back to education, uh, you have more opportunities to do so. Which you don't easily have in, in Greece. I mean, then again, I've graduated in 2004 from high school. I don't know what's happening now. <laughs> so this is just my experience when I was at school. Mm. So uh, yeah, go on. No, 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 continue, please. No, it's just, and I think schools here, I feel that they are, they give more opportunity to a person to cultivate what they really like but at the same time they want more from you mm. like you like you study all the time that's my take on this and maybe i'm mistaken i don't know but from what i figured because i have friends that are um, teach, uh, teachers at you know different levels in british schools i've gathered that it's it's a, it's different and it's more difficult here but for me also free time is important, you know? So I'm not, I don't know. That's why I said before, I don't know if it's better or not. It's just different. Yeah, more, more of like a, for lack of a better term, like a work-life balance kind of thing, right? Like it's... Yes. But then again, I will not state this with certainty because I don't have a, a personal experience here and it's been more than 10 years since I had my last school experience in Greece. Mm. Well, I, I wonder if you couldn't, you know, take us back a little bit because, you know, it, this is this is something that is also very interesting to me um, is in in countries like Greece and in countries like Italy, when you when you are sort of sitting on top of, you know, a major historical um, heritage, let's say. Um, how much of that actually is, uh, is, is sort of communicated to you from the elementary school level forward? Is it something that comes up all the time or is it something that's, you know, you spend most of your time doing, you know, math and science, but, you know, they just sort of tell you, oh yeah, by the way, you live in Athens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I think it comes up a lot of times. Uh, now for many uh, this would be part of state trying to cultivate the Greekness in the citizens, okay? which is like not very good, let's say, because it might lead to other trajectories. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think 
that is wrong to know about your city and the history of the country you happen to be born in, you know, that's your heritage. Um, definitely, it shouldn't be cultivated for uh, reasons that would be worse than patriotic, you know, for the lack of a better word at the mm. moment. But it's very interesting always to have a connection with your environment because all the environments are historical. And it seems to me that the more you know about the place, the more you understand it. And I do believe that learning the history of a place as growing up is part of this. Mm. So you understand the place and its people. So does this start, does this kind of um, historical background, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's wrong to say indoctrination, right? But I mean, you know, and, and I and I do appreciate the point that um, you could sort of take uh, knowledge of history and uh, uh, culture and you could go down some very like dark paths with it, right? I mean, you know, there's a, you know, that we, we have this as well where, um, you know, if you if you were so inclined, right? Um, there are many, many, many examples of um, you know. Th I mean, just throughout history, but even even in the modern day, of you know, small groups of people getting together and deciding that you know they are the inheritors of uh, you know, like a like a you know, they're they're looking for like a white ethno state. You know, I mean, there's there's all kinds of crazy ideas that exist that you could you could sort of like misuse this, you know, material. Um, but I also think that for the people who do try to do that, they almost always have a, a like a distorted or weird view, um, which is not necessarily based on a careful analysis of, uh, of the history that they're pointing to, but it's usually oh, yes, like, some kind of like, like, a, like a weird idealized distortion, right? Yes, of um, course. Yeah. So, but but I mean, this is not necessarily what we're talking about when we're talking about you know your education at the elementary school level. Oh no, I just wanted no. to to make this disclaimer. Basically. Oh no 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 yeah no. I because you, you can yeah. have things like this, right? For me, it was a very good trigger to have this, and a trigger which is also cultivated through by my family basically, because every Sunday we would go to this museum or that museum with my mother and go around and you know, um, have all of these images of past cultures, which were, for me, it was something of a shock and awe. I was like, wow, look at this. I want to know more. It's so interesting. Who, who made those sculptures? Okay. Who created those spots? Why do they look like this? Um, where, where, where were these things exhibited? For what reason? So you have all of these questions and being able to visit the museum that easily and do this as a repetitive process because you're so interested in, I think helps you realize that I have a genuine interest about this. And, and you, you know, you can, edit, you can never get bored. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I can't. <laughs> I know the feeling, right? So, I mean, I, I, I can definitely relate because there are, you know, it is the kind of thing where, you know, it's almost like, um, I, I don't know, like you can dig as as deep as you want and there's always something else, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. There's, there's always, you know, but not every field is like that though, right? Because I mean, there are certain, there are sort of, you know, other disciplines out there 
um, where you can hit the bottom of it and go, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, now, now I've reached the end. Um, like which, for example? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you the, the example that I like to, uh, that I always like to point to um, would be something like, um, something like if you wanted to, if you wanted to study uh, physics, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can get to the end of our understanding of physics, right? You can, you can, you can, you can actually reach a point where the only way to go in physics is to learn something new or discover something new or, or invent new physics. Um, but there's no guarantee that you actually will do that. Right. Meaning that, you know, you can you can reach the limits of human understanding of physics and then you can say, you know, from this point, this is what we think is going to happen. Or, you know, it would be great if we could do this other experiment or, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, the great unknown out there is sort of, you know, you're an astronaut from that point. Right. You're exploring, you know, something that is uh, that is totally, you know, I, I guess just just a big black hole. Right. Whereas. Whereas in the classics or in archaeology or anything like this, it seems like wherever you go um, and whatever project you get involved in, um, the answer is always going to be more archaeology is going to change your understanding of what the past actually was. Meaning that you know it's it, you know it's like it's like the field itself is just uh, is is constantly. The, the interpretation of things that should be pretty well understood um, don't necessarily remain pretty well understood with new evidence and things like this. I mean, or, or maybe I'm, you know, maybe this is sort of a game of semantics here. Maybe what I'm saying yeah. is, you know, it's like it's, you know, you could make the argument either way for physics or for archaeology. I, don't know. I think I think it applies to most of the disciplines, because the more research you have, the more you can talk about it and the more uh, this research broadens your horizon of how you, you perceive these things. And of course, in archaeology and in history, the narrative might change and change in a way because as a community, we move forward and then, you know, you, can, you, you might say that you have gotten rid of your bias, but you can never do that completely. And that's where new ideologies come with new biases, more contemporary. Even if people say, oh, this is a non-biased research towards this and that. I don't think you can get rid of this, but the more you acknowledge it, the better it would be for the reader, the viewer, the next third person that wants to understand what's happening because they will take this into, into consideration and that's important. Mm. So do you, in your view then, do you, do you, do you see, you know, you know, fields like this, like, you know, uh, history and archaeology and classics and all the rest, do you see this as, as being something that, you know, where we can, where we can actually make an advancement and, and, and move towards a more perfect understanding or is even the attempt, you know, sort of like a foolish attempt? You know, I mean, like, like, and, and then how do you even define it, right? I mean, I, I, I almost think to myself that, like, you know, and I'll give you a quick example of this, right? Is uh, I, I like to think about the Parthenon frieze, right? Um, you know, why so detailed, and and why would you even, you know, and 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 this has sort of gone back and forth, you know, through scholarship all the time, and you know, and there's a 
there's a very funny picture I saw once in a textbook of, you know, the ancient Athenians, right, right after the Persian War are standing up on like scaffolding and they have like a torch and they're like standing right in front of the Parthenon frieze, like examining it, right? When in reality, I think it's pretty impossible <laughs> to think that, you know, that that wasn't the intention, right, of putting that up there, you know, and, and maybe, you know, we're making such a big deal about it because we we have it. Um, and it is so, you know, such an iconic thing and it has influenced art and everything else, you know, uh, uh, art and sculpture and architecture, you know, for, for you know, centuries thereafter. Um, so maybe, you know, it's important to us in a way that it wasn't important to them. So, I, you know, are we ever going to be able to, f to put ourselves back in the mindset of those people, you know, of Phidias and, you know, the other... The other I don't masters? know. Why would you say that they importance between the past and the present is different though hmm. Hmm. meaning that they're 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 just different they're not, not not one is not more important than the other oh yeah but the same thoughts that you have when you look at this phrase it doesn't mean that another person 2000 years ago wouldn't have the same thoughts mm. they might have many more that are different but you know apart from this being an exquisite piece of sculpture um, there is also a way to communicate uh, wealth uh, or, or a symbol to communicate other things like Athens rules, you know, ho, ho, we are so amazing, look at us. Um, all sorts of propagandas can be, you know, explained through, well, that's of course my view, but I think there are, you know, uh, these things... Um, are an, an amalgamation of meanings basically yeah yeah no i see what you mean right there was uh there is there is an idea that you know political messaging and propaganda needs to be wrapped in something that's like very appealing and very you know yes because otherwise you wouldn't pay attention to it okay right 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 that's a and good so point. it's also it's also advertisement mm -hmm. you know you advertise who you are you advertise how far you've reached your community, your wealth, uh, how, how educated you are. Look at me, I'm doing those sculptures. Oh my God, I'm the best sculptor in the world. You know, I'm amazing. I'm unbeatable. Mm. My art is, is fantastic. Do you, do you have any memories of when the first time that you went to the, uh, the Acropolis was, I mean, what, you know, and, and what kind of effect it had on you? I mean, I, I, I was, I think, I don't know, third year of elementary school, if not earlier. I remember it was extremely hot because we went in June and the weather have changed a bit, but not that much. You still have those massive heat waves during the summer. Um, I, the memory I have is that this bright, bright, bright sunlight being reflected in my face from the marbles and the surrounding. That's my memory, basically. Uh, but I also have a memory when I first visited the um, Mycenae. Mm. Yeah, so I went to this, uh, to the entrance basically with the two lions. Okay. Mm. And that I remember very distinctly because it was so massive and I was so tiny. <laughs> do, you know how, how, do you remember how old you were? I think when we went to the 
my cine and I first walked through the Lion Gate, maybe I was like third grade or something. I don't know. So maybe like nine, ten years old, something like yeah, that. Yeah, because it was a school trip and we went with our parents. So we visited my cine and then we went to Epidobros mm-hmm. to visit the site there and see the theater. Again, amazing experience. This is these are from the things you won't forget because you're so, you know, shocked. You don't you don't expect this. And if you're lucky enough and you have a good tour guide, it makes the experience worth it. So as a child, these are memories that stay in your brain forever. So, you know, this is fascinating to listen to just because, you know, the 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 counter example to what you're talking about um, that that we have in the United States anyway, would be doing things like going to Civil War battlefields, you know, or, uh, you know, I yeah, we, we do have, you know, museums and, you know, things like this and, you know, history museums and art museums and all the rest. Um, but especially if you're, if you, you know, depending on what part of the country that you're growing up in, um, there is no real equivalent, right, to being three years old and going to the Lion's Gate of Mycenae or, you know, seeing any of these like major, um, you know, like cultural heritage sites like this. Um, you know, there, there are, there are certain, you know, natural phenomenon that we have, you know, in the, like geological formations and things like that, like, uh, you know, going to the Grand Canyon, um, is pretty great. And I know that that, that actually does have an impact on people. I know a couple of geologists, um, who got deep into geology because they visited the Grand Canyon when they were about that age. Um, and I always wondered, you know, does, does it really, you know, it certainly doesn't have that effect on everybody, right? It wouldn't be, it's not that everybody that was in your tour, tour group went on to become, you know, uh, professional artists and uh, and and to be deeply influenced by uh, definitely not definitely not yeah but <laughs> but it it does it does seem to leave a mark right uh, you know just in terms of your consciousness and in terms of you know your you know what what you what you are interested in and what you're interested in pursuing from that point oh yeah definitely and then you know when when you return home with these images and your family environment cultivates that more and they tell you well if you like it, go for it it's it's amazing it's really it's it's a it's a fantastic thing to happen because you have you know that your background supports you right so you find the courage to move on and to move further yeah that's incredible so all right so 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 all of the ingredients were there very early on, right? Um, you you know, did you did you find yourself drawing when you started to really take art seriously? Did you find yourself drawing on classical examples um, a lot, a little bit, or was this something? A lot, that... a lot. Okay. So okay, funny thing. Uh, when I finished high school, I didn't know of the existence of the Athens School of Fine Arts because. Mm no one bothered to tell us about it. So, and also because it has a different system of uh, examination. So different exams to go into the schools and no, not through the pan-Hellenic examination process, if you want, okay? So I had no idea. Um, and then a friend of mine, which was also a professor of mine that taught me architectural drawing, told me, well, have you heard about the school? What are you doing? You know, you need, you need to start preparation and I was like what does this even exist yeah I'm very interested and so I did three years of preparatory drawing uh, 
in a studio near Exarchia in Athens um, in order to, to learn because the Athens School of Fine Arts examination process is through charcoal and pencil drawing and um, still nature. Um, and so the way we learned drawing was through um, creating drawings of a replica Roman and ancient Greek sculpture that the studio had. It was like the classical way of doing so, right? Uh-huh. So you would go in and you have a head of Alexander, like a head of uh, Athena Niki, a head of uh, Odysseus, you know, a head of Heracles, and so on and so forth. So through this uh, drawing process, you would taught the academic ways, let's say. And then every September, you would give exams uh, to enter the Athens School of Fine Arts. And I, I, I got in with the third. So I was... Uh, cut two times, basically. So it's competitive. You have to actually really, you know, you have to really know your stuff to get in there. Yeah. It's very competitive. Uh, every year and up to then, again, because it's been like I started in 2007, so many, many years ago, um, they would take 10% of the applicants. So let's wow. say if you are 800 people, they would take 80 or something. Wow. So very little amount. And you had people from all of Greece and Cyprus that were applying to enter to the school. So it was like many candidates. Wow. Wow. And everybody is in there, you know, you, so it's the, 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 even in the examination process, the classical example is baked into it. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then once you start the training, does that continue or do they ever encourage you and say, okay, well now you can be like, you know, Picasso and do all this. So, when you enter the school, they discourage you from continuing uh, in this manner. Mm. Um, and whether you like it or not, they don't care <laughs> because <laughs> I think artistically in Greece, and I take full responsibility for saying this, uh, 80% of Greek artists are, artists are stuck in the, I don't know, post-war art that was produced in the free part of Germany, let's say. And that was, we have never recovered from that, you know. The world moves on. You visit countries like the US and UK and many other countries up in the north and you see that people have find a new interest in realism and academic drawing, which for me is really important because it's part of classical training. I'm not saying that that's the only training, but it's important to understand how form works, how light works, how shadow works, okay? Even if you don't proceed to to do realism for the rest of your life. But I think in Greece, art has followed a a weird trajectory. Uh, I hope this changes soon, but I don't think so. And which I'm not very fond of, basically, because you have you have to follow, you know, the contemporary um, doctrine of what galleries want in Athens. And if you don't get into the circle, you will never sell anything because they don't like your work because they cannot sell it or whatever. I don't know, really. Um, that is just my take on it. It doesn't mean that another person's uh, experiences would be the same, but 
when I was trying to introduce my stuff, let's say it didn't work very well. I see. So, so why do you think then that the, that the, this, this sort of, when we say classical tradition, right. Or, 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 you know, thinking back to that, that entrance exam, you know, this, this kind of, um, style, I guess, or uh, the style of, of figure drawing, right. You're drawing specifically sculpture from a very kind of narrow time period. Isn't that right? Or, you know, it's not really uh, like yes. you're drawing. Okay. Okay, well, you're, you're not drawing Cycladic figurines, no. Right. You could if you wanted to. But you're drawing um, from early archaic to late Roman, mm-hmm. basically. That's what you're drawing. You also have um, uh, life models that you, you, you also do. Uh, and then, I mean... I, I'm not sure why this happens, but I think there's a reason why we call it the classical period. So there is, there are some substantial artistic peaks, let's say, that one can find there. They're not the only ones. We can see that every period has its artistic peak. But for some reason, they have been established as the classical thing to do. So there, there you have, that's my take, I don't know. <laughs> If I could explain it, that's what I would say. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it is a little, it does remain a little bit mysterious, right? Why, um, you know, why the Parthenon freeze? Why, why are we so, you know, enamored with, you know, or that style of sculpture? I mean, you know, I, I, the, the example that I, that I, that comes to my mind anyway is, um, is the, this, the, uh, it's it's the statue that's in the Vatican of uh, Lacawan and his sons being eaten by the you know the snakes you know it's like it's like that style is very um, evocative and it's you know and it it is like what I think of when I think of like classical art. Um, well, yeah. To interrupt you, I'm no, sorry please, for please. that. No, 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 but please. it's interesting please. because you say you're so drawn to this, but if you think about it, it's. So you began from period, the, the archaic period, where things start becoming very realistic, mm-hmm. right? So you have like the, the representation of the human body as it is in, in like real life. And this is the first time that happens and it's important. And so you see, you see something that you can relate to, basically. Then if you move, so if, you talk, if we talk about the sculpture, of Laocoon, for instance, is like a little bit more than realistic. I don't know if calling it hyper-realistic would necessarily be a term that we could apply to it, but they have some features of this sculpture. You'll see that they are exaggerated. And so I think we are, as human beings, we're drawn, we are drawn to this, basically. Yeah. And I think that's why. Yeah, it's there's... the realism of it. It's the exaggeration of the realism itself as well. Yeah, it's maybe like uh, larger than life, you know, or like like the you know the 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 proportions are like are like unnaturally you know perfect and and good, right? Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, it's that, but you're you're you actually took a lot of inspiration not just from this time period of of sort of you know the 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 greco-roman heyday here but you know you also have actually 
um, spent a lot of time working with like medieval type techniques and and even you know the, the archaic stuff or the, the, I guess the the Bronze Age you know techniques from the you know from the Cycladic period and 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 beyond that. I mean, so you know if you could give us a little bit of you know of background, right, or or, or a little bit of of I mean I, I'm I I have a story in my head that I'm that I'm thinking of right. And it was, uh, it's your use of pigments and, and making your own pigments and paints. And it's, I just, it's fascinating how you do that. So, I mean. I think how the story began was that yeah. while I was studying at the Athens School of Fine Arts, I wanted to enhance the material properties of my colors, basically. And my canvas and my surfaces and everything, because I, 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 I fell in love with the intensity of colorants, okay? So I wanted to, to produce something more intense that would withstand the test of time. And that's why I started reading those things. And then, uh, and then I got the virus. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you, you read about 1600s and the materials and techniques that were applied at that point. And then you say, ah, but what happened earlier? And then you keep asking that question and then you reach prehistory at some point. Spoken like a classicist, huh? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So, so, you know, and in addition to all of your artistic pursuits, um, you also have an archaeological background as well. Um, how did that come about exactly? Where, where, you know, how did you make the pivot from the one to the other? Well, you know, you were there. I was there. <laughs> so, so well, when I when I graduated from uh, ASFA, Athens School of Fine Arts, okay, I, I I applied twice for. Um, so the university that I studied is a, has a, is a five, is a compulsory five year attendance uni. Okay. In Greece, that doesn't count as a, as a master's degree, although abroad it would. Mm -hmm. And so after that, they created another master's department uh, that you had to spent two years studying to get the master's of the Athens School of Fine Arts. And so I applied there twice. I don't believe I had really good applications, but up to that point, I wasn't sure exactly how to apply, let's say, right? Because like I was, what we have been doing up to that point was something really, uh, with something that involved personal labor and, you know, painting sculpture, pottery, engraving. And I wasn't sure how to, to create an application, but I did my best at the time. I tried twice and I failed. And then I thought to myself, well, now that I'm free of this and this year I don't want to try anymore because I don't see light at the end of the tunnel pertains to that matter. <laughs> what else can I do which I really love? Um, and then I was like, hmm, I really like archaeology, I really like history, I would like to know more about the subject and I have the time to do so. So how, how do you do such thing? And so 
I, at that point, I think it was 2014 or 15 or something, there was a two-month two uh, summer course offered by Capodistrian University of Athens, which was called um, Archaeology and Cultural Heritage or something like that, and it was offered for free. So I applied for this course and they, and they took me. And there I met many people which were historians and archaeologists. And what we were taught mostly on this course was history and not archaeology. But I was very interested in how do one excavate? What is this? How do you do it? What knowledge do you need to have in order to, you know, excavate uh, something which is like archaeological or whatever. And so I met one girl from there and she told me, oh, did you know that uh, the American school, was, what? The American school, it's inside the Agora, the store of Atalus, right? I was like, oh. And so they, they still excavate the ancient Agora and they, they take um, volunteers every summer. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, of course, you know, here's the site. Have a look, you need to, to, you know, have a look next month because they're gonna uh, update for the next uh, summer applications. And I'm like, okay. And I, and I had a look and I don't think, I think I missed the deadline for that summer because it was already July or something. But the following winter, which was the uh, end of 2015 and the beginnings of 2016, I, I kept looking on American school webpage until I saw the applications opening again. So I applied and I got accepted. And I went at the store of Atalos and I was interviewed by John Camp. And I started excavating at the first week uh, of June next summer where I met you. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history, right? And the rest is history and archaeology. <laughs> and archaeology. It's true. So, so basically, the answer is, is that it was purely through your own interest that you got involved, right? And, and it is possible to do so, right? It is possible to go in and to get involved in, uh, in archaeology as easy as that, um, which is, I think, an important, you know, it is, as long as these opportunities exist. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that, and actually, it's funny you mentioned that because this is actually, this, this topic is sort of um, near and dear to, you know, I guess the whole point of this podcast. Um, and we are going to do, uh, we're going to dedicate an episode um, to that, uh, to that very topic is, uh, it's the the endangered species that this is becoming, right? And the uh, the lack of opportunity as we go forward. And what I have a good that? luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that this is actually going to do anything uh, one way or the other um, in terms of, you know, stopping the backslide. I don't know that anybody can do anything. Um, whoever, whoever is going to participate at this podcast, at least they're going to have a good rant. <laughs> Very important. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. I, I, I think we'll all have a good rant and we'll, you know, at least we'll feel better at the end of it. So, so, okay. So, so this sort of now brings me to another question. Um, and this is in service of, 
Um, I believe it's uh, episode three of the podcast where we talk about the the Elgin marbles, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've listened to that. Yes. Yes. So so I know that this is this subject is is very near and dear to you as it is to uh, many people uh, in Greece. Um, But what are your initial thoughts and and what are you know what what is what exactly is you know it, you i think are are in a particularly interesting position um having come from greece and now living in the uk so if you want to go and see the uh the marbles you can go to london and yeah uh, i have it's you, <laughs> so what goes through your mind while you're standing there um so if we want to be um no look I, me as well, I'm going to try to get rid of my bias, okay, now, because mm. it's important. Uh, however, my, it, my argument is the following. This is part of something, and this is part of a structure that is still standing. It's not a remnant of a temple that was, uh, you know, broken down to pieces 5,000 years ago. It is a monument that is still in place. And therefore, it's only logical that all parts of this monument rest in the same, at least museum, if not the same building itself, basically. We can go into the politics of that and how these things and if these things and when these things were taken by force from Greece and who sold them to whom and who gave permission but uh, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I've I've done it for you already. I think so. It's like no, but the the reason I ask, right, is because again, this is um this is something that I think is very difficult for people who don't have a background in archaeology or a background in um, art and art history. It's difficult for them to wrap their head around because. Um, if you're coming to this, uh, if you're coming to the debate and you're coming to the debate from a, from a position where you don't even know what the Elgin marbles are. So first you have to learn what they are and then you have to, you know, sort of find out about the whole controversy and you have to go step by step and, you know, and sort of, you know, re-educate. And then, and then if you're an English speaker, more likely than not, you're getting the, British understanding of, you know, what, what happened there. Um, it's, it's a, it, it puts you in a difficult position to actually understand that, um, this kind of, you know, cultural heritage, like what we're talking about here, um, this is really for, for everybody. Um, this is not a, uh, this is not as, as, as sort of, um, limiting an idea as saying this belongs to country X or this belongs to country Y, right? The, the argument that you're making, um, which I think is a good one, is that if the monument is still standing, why wouldn't we do everything in our power to restore the monument to, you know, to, to, you know, put all of the pieces together and put it back into a, into a coherent, you know, whole, um, and then can't we all enjoy it where it belongs, right? In in the in the one place. And it's not like it's not like you're in a situation there where the monument is going to be like mishandled or mistreated or something like this, right? I no. mean, you know, you know, the 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 amount of expertise and the amount of time and attention that you know that you know Greece as a country pays to um, 
to archaeology and to cultural heritage, I think is more than average. It, you know, it, oh, it, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> More than the United States does, I would yes. say. Right. I think more than anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, ah. <laughs> so it, it is still a big deal, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It is. It is a big deal. But uh, I endorse it when it is a big deal for the good reasons, basically. Yeah. That's when I like it. Now, if we talk about. Look, first, we need to remember that Lord Elgin was Scottish, not mm -hmm. English. Okay, it's important. <laughs> Because sometimes th people think about that the bodies are uh, down from the border, down from Hadrian's Wall, okay? But not necessarily. So, um, and also, if we talk, and this is again my personal take, if we talk uh, about how British Museum has taken all the antiquities that are of interest and concentrated them in London. And if, if, you, if you have a look at that, what they've done inside Britain, they've done exactly the same. So you have, you have an amazing Saxon, I think, cross, um, which is like um, carved in stone, which belongs to, which was found in Yorkshire, if I'm not mistaken. But the British Museum took it for themselves and created the replica to have to Yorkshire Museums. And I'm like, they do, they, what, they, what they do internationally, they also do internally. So at least they're consistent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still, yeah. like, come on, have you, have you been to the British Museum? I have, I have, a long time ago, but I have, yeah. yeah. Honestly, you can, you can give some stuff back to countries and that does not include only Greece, okay? Many, many other countries um, that, that have, you know, these objects for some countries have a very deep um, symbolism for their history, for their culture. And I think they would, they would be grateful forever. They would, they would be friends of the museum if there was such thing to, to happen. But um, I think the argument is that uh, we are such an international museum, so many thousands of visitors, which is true. Uh, but you need to understand that uh, these things, these, these artifacts reached that museum through processes that were at Gorgli Colonial, either we like it or not, okay? And so, you need to realize that as a museum, you, if, you, if you keep this, there are things to be said about. Yeah. 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 No, I, 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 think I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, um, it's always been an interesting debate for me to engage with. Um, coming from the United States and coming from my, you know, obviously my childhood, you know, in... In, in the US, we have, we have such a bad track record when it comes to historical preservation. Um, so let me give you another example. Um, and I remember being very, very impressed by this. Um, I suppose negatively impressed by this when I saw it the first time. But, um, you know, one of the things, one of the, the sort of like the myths that we grow up with 
uh, or that at least that I grew up with in the United States is the story of the uh, the Boston Massacre, um, you know, which is which is really the 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 very beginning of the American Revolution from mm-hmm. you know from Great Britain, and you know we we we're sort of taught this story of the Boston Massacre, and you learn about you know you know and and you you sort of see how there there's like woodcut you know woodcut uh prints that were made from the time where it shows you know the red coats are all lined up in a big line and they're you know shooting into the crowd and they're killing everybody and they're this and the other thing and uh and then of course you know later on you find out it wasn't like that at all right there were they they were not they were not marching in lockstep or anything it sounds like it was really just you know the the troops that were out there kind of panicked as the mob got to be a little bit unruly and one thing led to the other as they say um yeah but but given that it's got such a, a a place of primacy in American history, you would expect that, you know, there would be some sort of like, you know, monument or a plaque or something because, you know, we still have Boston and we know where it happened. Right. And it's not we're not talking about we're not talking about the Parthenon. We're not talking about two thousand five hundred years. We're talking about, you know, a couple of hundred years. Yeah. Um, and then when you go to where the Boston Massacre happened, um, it's in the middle of traffic, uh, and it's a small circle of stones um, that's sort of like on a little pedestrian island. Uh, so, you know, there's a crosswalk, and then you walk out into the middle of, like, four or five lanes of traffic, and there's cars flying around you everywhere. And then there's, like... And then you stand in the middle of these circle of the stones, and then and if you if you read beforehand that that's what that is, then you know... And if you didn't know, then you'll never know, right? So, so it's you know, so when when you when you're when you're talking to an American audience and you start talking about the Elgin Marbles, you know, we're we're on a different planet from you, right? Because it's like, you know, the idea of a of a fight. We're looking at it like, oh, we're gonna throw it all in the trash anyway. So who cares who has it, right? Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's that's fair enough, but. I mean, that's a choice that you don't always have to make, you know? Oh, I agree. Yeah, no, Whereas, no, certainly don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I don't see any choice being given to people to make contemporarily when it comes to antiquities in the British Museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the other the other example that we have is uh, that's also a negative example would be uh, I don't know if you've heard about the issue that we have with uh, the company Hobby Lobby. No. Ah, well, th- this is a little bit of an aside, but um, not really, right? I think it's still sort of related to what we've been talking about. But we we have a very big company here um, that's called Hobby Lobby, and uh, th- this is a like an arts and crafts you know kind of store. And the uh, the owners of this Hobby Lobby are very very devout evangelical Christians, um, so they wanted to make a museum of the Bible, um, and in doing this museum, making this museum, and of course this is funny to you because you know, well we'll get into it later. But I mean, <laughs> we, we why are you uh... telling me these things? I can't stop now. <laughs> Well, you know, part of part of the problem is is that they they've they've actually they've actually acquired quite a, a number of illegally looted artifacts from Iraq and from all over the Middle East 
to get into their museum. And it turns out, you know, after the fact, after they've spent, you know, all the, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars on all of these uh, antiquities that that a good percentage of them were acquired illegally and they were forced to return them, um, you know. So at least the story had a happy ending that, you know, the, these, these people don't, you know, get to keep all this stuff. Um, but I think, it, I think it does highlight that this is a major problem still, right? And that antiquities trafficking is, uh, is actually real. It's not something like from the movies, you know, that's like- well, Of uh, course, I mean, there are, it, it always implicates two parties, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, there is the buyer, there is the one that the material will end to, but initially there is the person that is willing to do the deed, which is like sometimes more important yeah. yeah, either either criminal gangs or uh, or people who you know don't know any better or who knows. Yeah. Yeah. They don't locals, okay? They don't care, whatever. Yeah, and that's actually that's interesting too because you that this is also how much of a problem do you think that is in Greece? You know, when when you know if you're out and you're a farmer. Um, you know, in the Peloponnese and you're, you know, working your field and you happen to dig up, you know, a bust or you happen to find, you know, antiquities, you know, do you think, do you get the sense that most people will go and contact the authorities or, uh, or is it like 50, 50 or, you know, I want to believe that. Mm. I really want to believe that. Um, I don't think that the looting at the moment is, it's happening as much as it did uh, post-World War II in Greece, mm. or even earlier. Um, I think people now have maybe cultivated a, 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 you know, a respect for this. Um, and even, they even know more about it, okay? They have access to information more easily. Um, and they also know that to be honest, they're not they're not much money to be made out of this as it has been in the past because you're you're getting into so much danger in order to win what like ten thousand euros, twenty thousand euros. I don't know because if this this piece would have would to would have to be con- um, consumed through the black market, okay? Because if it ends up in any museum goes an auction at some point they will realize how this material ends there okay so of course we've seen we've seen things happening with many auction houses the last decade but they are trying to be more and more careful when it comes to particularly looted antiquities so you need to know where the material derives from so yet again if you want if i find the statue to whom am i going to sell it how am I going to find a buyer if I'm a, if I'm a farmer, you know? It's different if I'm the criminal, let's say, and I've heard that at that place there is money to be made. And so I go there and start digging during nighttime or something. And it's different if I am the, you know, the man that, that owns the place himself or herself. Yeah. I think it's not it's not as easy as we think. Yeah, 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 it's not it's you're I think you're I think you're 100% right. Um you know, 
One other question that has always sort of bothered me about that is, do you think that there's some kind of like, do you think that there's some kind of tension between, um, especially maybe, you know, not recently, but I think, I think just sort of like historically in Greece that, you know, if you are a farmer and let's say that you're a farmer and it's, you know, the, you know, the 1830s, you know, it is around the time of, you know, independence, you know, um, are you looking at things that you might dig up in your backyard as that farmer and you're saying, oh, this is some kind of like, you know, uh, demonic, uh, you know, devil uh, worshiping stuff, uh, you know, pagan artifacts are, are not really part of the identity of, you know, a, of a, of a, of an Orthodox Christian. And it's something that we don't really care about because this is, you know, predating the era of Christianity. And, you know, and, and For which period are we talking again? Exactly 1930s. No, 1830s. Like, like 1830s. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or, I don't know. think so that would be the case. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because historically, um, when uh, we had Ottoman Empire no more in Greece, what happened was that people, let's say, that were in charge uh, after that uh, war were trying to uh, Hellenize everything again. Let's Mm -hmm. put it in this manner, okay? And one way to do that was to remind to the Greeks the greatness of their past. That would happen through religion and Byzantium, but also through classical history, right? So I don't, I don't think that if we saw, if they saw this stuff, if if the farmers saw this stuff, they would be, oh, you know, pagan. No, I'm Christian. No, I, I think the opposite. Mm, but they because be- because it's already cultivated. Okay, of course, you know, some to some people maybe it wasn't cultivated, and they didn't, they didn't give it about it so they would be like a oh, stone whatever Pfft, i don't care <laughs> what matters to me is how am i going to have you know some food for my family this afternoon right 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 yeah it's it, it is always that is one of the things that has always been fascinating to me about um about greece you know modern greece but even you know, the Greece of, uh, I, I, I could say like the modern period, right. You know, from the, from, you know, the end of the Ottoman empire forward, um, is, is that it is such a rich tapestry and there are many different currents, you know, going through Greek society that are, that are, that are just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, in a, in a way that, again, in a way that, you know, we can have a hard time understanding, especially in the United States, um, just because we, we don't have anything like it. Um, I mean, I still have a hard time understanding, and I'm not from <laughs> there, don't worry, okay? <laughs> That's fair <laughs> enough. Learning is an ongoing process, my friend. It never yeah, absolutely. So, all right, so, so you actually spent a good deal of... So after the Agora, you ended up going to work on another project, um, and this time, this time in the... Uh, this time in the Cyclades, and I know that that uh, led to 
um, your move to the UK and also led to your going back into academia again. Um, yes. So how, how influential, I mean, aside from those major life changes, obviously this is influential for you, but I mean, how has your study of Cycladic art actually influenced your, your work as a, uh, as, as a, as an artist, um, in general, uh, or has it? So stylistically, not at all. Mm. Uh, but when it comes to materials a lot, mm. uh, because when I did the masters at the University of Sheffield uh, in cultural materials, basically, that's how this particular thing was called. And the more I learn about this type of pigments, the more I want to use them and the more I know how to use them, basically. And the more admiration I have for how these materials came to be used to begin with. Because the more you look into it, you realize that this thing is a very important process by itself. When, and for example, when we have, when we start, when we first start seeing the use of azurite in the, in the Aegean during the I want to say late Neolithic, early Bronze Age. It doesn't come as a surprise that at the same point you have start of some type of metallurgical processes, right? So azurite is a copper ore. And so azurite in some form, let's say, enters this horizon and it becomes pigment and it becomes metal as well. It becomes a dagger, basically. So it has been really interesting to me to see how some materials are in, indeed interconnected with other technologies, technological processes, basically. So if it's a copper ore, does that mean that it's like a green color or? Uh, it, it can vary. So if it is like copper carbonate, it would be a color. If it is a, what's the other? Let me see. Have them here open for us. Because so, I don't want to forget, right? La la la. Yeah, so copper carbonate um, is azurite. And then you have malachite, which is another mineral form of this copper ore. I'm sorry, I cannot find it at the moment. That's okay. Uh, but you, you get this in many forms, okay? So you have like, even combinations of both. So you would have one and the other. Wherever you would find azurite, you would probably find malachite as well, or I don't know, whatever, another, another ore mm, which contains copper mm. in some form. And for those who don't already know, when we're talking about the, the Neolithic and the late Bronze Age, when exactly are we talking about in terms of like dates? In terms of dates, again, I am not very well prepared for this. <laughs> but let's say early Bronze Age, 5,000 years ago. Okay, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Basically, more or less. Yeah, and, and I know that the, the Greek Dark Ages, to again, to put things into perspective, right? The Greek Dark Ages 
are probably around 1000 BC, so maybe 3000 years ago. So, you know, if we if we say, you know, when we're talking about the Bronze Age and the and the Neolithic, we're talking about, you know, quite a long stretch of time um, and and really in the remote past from us. Right. So, you know, yes. Many- and yes. But for instance, it changes from country to country. So yeah. if we talk about the Bronze Age in Britain, the dates are different. Okay, there are there, they have some. Um, there is some particular time which both uh, go forward in time parallelly, but they don't begin at the same time, basically, or at least that's what we know at the moment. Right, right. The, I mean, you know, and I think the same can be true for like um, when we t- when we start talking about, especially when we're talking about this, you know, very very early human history. We're talking about, you know, phenomenon like uh, the invention of agriculture, like settled agriculture, you know, people sitting down on a farm, you know, the concept of that came to different people at different times in the same way that, you know, working metal came to different people at different times in the same way that writing came to different people at different times. So it's, it's, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it can be, it can be confusing sometimes because, you know, the way that it's written or the way that I learned it anyway, in, in sort of high school textbooks, you know, you get the idea that, you know, that humanity has entered the Bronze Age and some sort of switch is flipped and everybody has the information, you know, on how to make bronze and everybody's doing it at the same time. But that's not at all how it worked. No. But I think I think this these things, uh, well, that's why you have the chalcolithic, chalcolithic period, mm-hmm. okay? So because some things, so... You have the final Neolithic, which is up to 3,200 BC or whatever, and, and Chalcolithic, and then you go to the Bronze Age. Because this is a... And the, yet again, this is an artificial um, narrative that we have created as a historians or people that study archaeology and so on and so forth. It doesn't mean that because we, we, we give this title to it now, this is exactly how it's happened. This is suggested by the evidence up to now, but we don't know what the future holds. So, yeah, there's always there's always a chance that we're going to unearth new evidence in the next you know series of digs wherever we go, and it is going to have to change the way that we understand the 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 current model, right? I mean, this is uh this is another one of those things where I I get I get incredibly aggravated. Listening to pseudo archaeology, um, I don't know if you uh, encounter this too much, but there are there there are many many people out there who are, you know, it's it's the same kind of like conspiracy theory type thinking um, that you people bring apply. it on. What do they say? <laughs> well, you know, people people who are saying, you know, um, there there's people who who want to make the argument that. Um, you know, I don't know that uh, Atlantis. You know, Atlantis was uh, was actually a real civilization, and that it was wiped out by uh, asteroid impact. You know, ten thousand years ago, and that there's you know all kinds of advanced civilizations that came. You know, you know tens of thousands of years ago, but you know we don't have any evidence because you know they're at the bottom of the ocean, or we do have the evidence, but all of the archaeologists are afraid to give you the real evidence because they're trying to keep it secret to protect themselves and protect their academic, you know, their academic positions and their, you know, reputations and on and on. You know, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, 
craziness out there, um, even before the age of disinformation that we live in, there was, you know, there was crazy, crazy conspiracy theories going on that were like this. And, you know, I've always said in, in response, you know, that people like you and me would love to be proven wrong about this or love to, you know, you know, uncover new evidence that, that shows us like a totally different, you know, understanding of, uh, of, of how the bronze age collapse happened. Right. Oh, okay. Now, okay. Look, I'm going to go and get some water and be right back. Okay. <laughs> I touched a nerve. Give me just a second. Go for it. There we are. How the Bronze Age collapsed, we don't know. Okay. <laughs> Nobody knows. We can say, well, I've read, I don't know, more than four or five theories about it, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know because it's it's difficult to to suggest a holistic uh, idea about what happened throughout the Mediterranean and the Fertile Crescent in Egypt at this particular period. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe people that say that climate change played the role. Maybe who knows? I don't know. Yeah, a combination of you know. Of uh, I mean, well, climate change is, is has become you know a very you know hot topic and uh, especially you know talking about what we were or, or or I should say referring back to what we were we were talking about beforehand right about um, the idea that 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 whatever we're going through in our modern lives has an influence on the way that we interpret history um, you know I I I never really understood that um until we started seeing all of the climate change papers uh coming out you know where it's it's a very very you know and it's a fascinating field of inquiry because it's you know there is evidence that you know even little minute changes in the climate um you know throughout history have had major impacts um you know in like through pre-modern history writ large i mean not just going back to the bronze age collapse but you know, there's many other examples, you know, there's, there's like the little ice age during the medieval period. And, of course, yeah, 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 definitely. Like if you have a great period of drought uh, and the systems back then, one can say that they are very fragile and very, uh, you know, they can be influenced by weather phenomena really easily. Then, yes, that might trigger uh, a collapse, but when I think this in my, with my small brain and with a very, very little I know, I would state that there has to be a combination of things and not only one and the other, mostly it's going to be like a chain reaction of things that one led to another, to another, to another, to another. Because many states, um, you know, which is, which is true, you have evidence of uh, structures that have collapsed, you have like fire layers, you have things like that uh, throughout the eastern part of the Mediterranean, but they didn't just, this, this didn't just, it wasn't Armageddon, okay? I think it was a period of, it might, it might have taken 10 or 15 years, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, when, yeah because when, when you date things, you can only go 
that far and be and be you are you can be somewhat uh, accurate but up to which point yeah know. it's true i mean because we we you know this is like uh again we we learn this in the agora when you go into um it, you know if we if i if forgive me here for a second but i mean you know i'll i'll now, if you remember, um, there's there's that whole area in uh, Beta Zeta um, where <laughs> I was gonna I, I wanted to get nerdy for a second here, but if you go to that part of the Agora, right, and dig, you can find you know what we call the Persian destruction layer. Mm -hmm. um, I remember it, that. Yes. Yeah, you know, and and that is a well documented, you know, well spread out layer that you know really exists all the way around the Acropolis. Um, it's not just in um, beta zeta, but it's you know it's everywhere. If you if you dig for it, and you you'll find it eventually. Um, and it just so happens that we can pinpoint that because we know um, from literary sources and you know from inscriptions and from you know everything else we know about what the Persian Wars were were exactly. And and indeed we can find all kinds of like signs of violent struggle you know in 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 the uh, in the area. But you know for the Bronze Age you don't really have that. You know, we don't have, you know... You don't have, you don't, yeah, you don't have written language, at least not in the form we have it in, in later periods, basically. So. Yeah, there, there is no equivalent, there's no Bronze Age uh, Herodotus to explain to us, you know, what, <laughs> you know. But you have, you have, I think in the place of Herodotus, you have uh, wall paintings and sculpture yes. and architecture and... Then okay, you have you have you have linear scripts. <laughs> yes. Uh, but up to then, been used for for different reasons, basically. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. for uh, telling you know stories about uh, past things, basically past yeah. struggles. If you want, I think it's more of a, a verbal tradition that is happening at that period. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's all. There's a robust, robust literature on this. I know that that I've not really. This is not really my area of uh, of expertise. You know, so I don't really. I don't get into it too, too much. But I mean, I, I think that you can't help but be exposed to this, uh, this material when you decide that you want to do archaeology in Greece, right? Or if you want to do, uh, if you want to do, uh, you know, if you want to get into Greek philology at all, you want to learn ancient Greek, which by the way, if I'm not wrong, is compulsory in Greece, is it not? Uh, so it was up to some point in, um, in high school. Um, I think the, fir the first, grade of high school was compulsory and then you had to choose uh, a trajectory basically if you want the technological trajectory or the classical trajectory let's say and if you choose the latter you would have to learn fluent ancient greek and latin in order to pass the panhellenic exams if you wanted to be a philologist or study history or archaeology you had to go through that trajectory so yeah it's a, it's, it's so, it's, it's such a, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult for me to grapple with the idea of that. Um, just because again, you know, part of the reason why I, you know, we decided to do this podcast is because the classics, as we understand it in the U S 
um, is under threat. And I, not just the U.S., but I think also in the U.K., um, it's certainly under threat. Archaeology in general, right, is uh, there's a real turning away from this kind of pursuit. And... And yet, you know, there, it will never really, as far as I know, I don't think it's ever really going to completely go away because there are going to be these, you know, there are going to always be countries that, uh, that want to invest in it. It's just that, you know, the, the center of, of where this kind of thing is studied, you know, is going to move, you know, ever inward. I think if, if we lose the classics in the English speaking world, you know, it's, it's not, not to, to say, say that you'll never get, get to go and do it. It's just that, you know, you, you might have, have to learn Italian or German or whatever and then go, you know, go there, right? Or, or Greek, Greek, you know, and, and then go to it's Greece. Very, and, yeah, that's a very interesting thing because I don't, I, I have thought about it many times and I just don't understand why you would want to get rid of this thing. Hmm. I don't get it. Like, I haven't heard... Uh, a plausible explanation up to now as to why universities and um, governments want to get rid of archaeology and classics and the, the study of the past. Well, I mean, one can state that it's obvious why, you know? And I'm like, is it though? I don't know. I, 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 I argue that it is... It is if you take a very, very narrow view of things, right? And for those of you uh, who haven't heard as you know, season one, episode one, you can go back and listen to my argument for why, right? Why Do I it. think, <laughs> why I think, why I think classics is under threat. And, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't totally covered all of the reasons why I've covered part of the reasons why I think the most obvious reasons why. Um, and that is because if you're looking at an education, if you're looking at a, a, uh, a university education, a post-secondary education as a money-making proposition, if you're looking at it as this is, a, um, this is something that we do uh, in lieu of trade school, right? That, that trade school is a blue-collar phenomenon. Trade school is what you do when you're, you know, you, you're working class. You go to school and you learn a trade and then you get a job. But then... The equivalent of that for the white collar is the university, right? You're going to go and you're going to get like a better trade and get a job. But I don't think that's how it works <laughs> in practice, right? Um, and I there's... think you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, th this is another one of those things where if you can't coherently defend the practice of this from the inside, um it doesn't make me particularly confident that we're going to be able to survive um, in the long term. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, um, that this, you know, will at least move the needle a little bit. Um, and I guess we'll find out. Time will tell. Look, the reason I don't understand it is the following. Um, this capitalistic system wouldn't have reached the point that it is now without the classics, okay? So, like, posh boys that go to private schools and doing in Greek for kick. It's just, like, a very, very known example of people that are now govern countries, okay? So, why? it's part of their culture as well, not 
just the culture of the plebs that want to study archaeology, right? So why? Maybe that would be the end of them. Maybe in doing so, they would sign up their own death. You know, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't I don't know either. I mean, I, I, I don't I really don't. Um, I really don't know. I mean, there there is, you know, being being knowledgeable about world culture, I think, is a good thing. Of course um, it is. Absolutely. You know, and, and the more that we learn about, you know, all ancient cultures and how they interacted, um, a perfect example of that would be, you know, that Bronze Age collapse we were just talking about. You know, the, the Aegean Bronze Age is a web, it's a system, right? And you're talking about not just Greece, but you're also talking about ancient Egypt. You're talking about, you know, ancient, the, the Mesopotamian city-states and, and empires that arose there. You know, the, you know, the Babylonians, I mean, you know, just on and on, you know, and all the way really Balkans, to... Italy, and maybe a bit further to the north and to, and to the west, you know. Sure. You have, yeah. you have, you have people travel. Okay, people travel since since very early. It's not they don't need sails to travel, and even if they do have boats or they don't have boats, it doesn't matter. They will still find a way to move yeah. from one place to another. So they travel much earlier than we were taught in school that they do. Let's say, and and we we even you know just just to to drive that point home, that is true even in the Americas. Um, where you know there's there's evidence of of long long distance trade routes um, through Mexico, um, you know for like a thousand you know a thousand plus mile journeys you know that people would take from Mayan city states to places like Teotihuacan and I mean you know that 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 is a human activity that is not nobody has an, has a uh, has a, a monopoly on that. Um, no, of course, and it would happen in the same manner that happens today. So you know, they, that doesn't necessarily mean that I want to go from place A to B to travel and take with me this material. It doesn't mean that I have to, to do all of this route. What it means is that I, I take this merchandise to the next place and the next place will travel it to the third one and from the third one we'd reach the point B. So materials travel, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the initial traveler uh, goes with the materials up to the end point. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's that. That is a critical point to make, and I, and again, that's one. That's one of those things where I don't know. I don't know that that you. I I don't think I would have come to that conclusion independently had it not been for my, you know, my experience in the classics. You know, it's me it's neither. Kind of, yeah, you know, it's it's not necessarily obvious. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think I think the uh, the I think that we've that we've we've actually solved it, um, and that as a result of this conversation, the uh, the 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 downward trend will immediately reverse, um, and that we're you know we're 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 going to be hailed as heroes forever after. <laughs> Because we were able to convince world governments and uh, societies and uh, everywhere that they, you know, that we the the classics is worthwhile and we should uh, we should definitely keep on funding it and doing it. What do you say? Fantastic. <laughs> Exceptional. I'm so happy. 
Yeah, no, me too. So I, I, do you have any, do you have any final thoughts or do you have anything else that you'd like to add before we, uh, we put a bow on this thing? Believe it or not, we've gone for uh, quite a bit of time. I think, I believe it. No, I think, I think, I think we just didn't even touch the tip of the iceberg here. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> it's yet another hour and a half long conversation with uh, between two nerds, huh? Maybe like a couple of three hours. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Next time we do this, um, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, not for podcasting purposes, but you know, maybe over uh, a little uzaki and some mezes, and uh, we do it in Greece. What do you say? Well, you know where where to find me. <laughs> You know where I live, anyways. That's true. I do. I do. <laughs> Both in Sheffield and in Athens. So That's right. Great. That's right. That's right. Well, Maria, it's been a pleasure. Um, I I thank you so much for doing this. Thank thank you for taking the time. I really do. Uh, I really do think that these conversations are useful, um, and I think that uh, people are going to uh, very much be interested in what you have to say in your perspective. It's it's a very interesting, unique perspective you have. So. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm happy you enjoyed it. I did as well. All right. Then we'll see you. All right. See Bye. See you.